بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحم نسلی اللہ رسول الکریم اما بات الحمد للہ جنائی از دا تھرٹینتھ آف نومبر ان دا ایئر ٹو تھاؤزینڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی تھری الحمد للہ وی موو Sayyidina Abu Hurairah radiyallahu And the last report I mentioned was the famous report in Bukhari and Muslim in which Abu Hurairah was a guest of Abu Talha and he famously put the children to sleep and gave the little foodstuff to Abu Hurairah and he dimmed the light so people thought or the guests thought that they were eating with them The next day the Prophet praised them and said, Allah Ta'ala is greatly pleased with what you two did last night. And then the holy verse was revealed, Surah 59 verse 9. So now what's interesting, going back a few sessions, Abu Talha radiyallahu, when he was blessed with wealth, he had orchards and he gave the most priceless orchard for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which I mentioned a few sessions back in Sayyid Bukhari and Muslim now what's happened to his wealth he's, all, he's hardly got enough food for his children so this shows how much he was giving for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he falls into the best of categories whether he was wealthy or whether he was poor so why do I say that Because our beloved Messenger وسلم, he said the best sadaqah is that given when one is in need and struggling. Subhanallah. The best sadaqah is that given when one is in need and struggling. This is in Abu Dawood and Ibn Katil's tafsir. So note whether Sayyidina Abu Talha was rich or poor. His sadaqah was still of the highest grade. Subhanallah. So if you were to ask me, what was the greater sacrifice or what was the one with the greater reward? Bayruha, the orchard he gave, or when he hosted Abu Hurairah? I don't know. <laughs> They're both the best. <laughs> he gave from the best of his property. And he's also given from when he was struggling basically most if not his entire amount so note how they were investing for the akhirat the great companions of the prophet this also beautifully highlights another very important principle in the glorious deen namely that the poor and the wealthy are identical in the sight of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in terms of their giving so there's a report which explains this In Nasai, number 2527, and Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullahi stated, Hassan, Abu Huraira, which is interesting, Sayyidina Abu Huraira himself, radiyallahu, he relates that our beloved messenger said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, one dirham can become greater than even a hundred thousand dirhams. The companions, radiyallahu ta'ala anhum, asked, Ya Rasulullah, how is that possible that one dirham can become greater than a hundred thousand he said 
a rich man gives a hundred thousand dirhams from his immense wealth and gives it away as sadaqah. Another man has nothing except two dirhams and thus he takes one dirham and gives it away in sadaqah. This is recorded, like I mentioned, it's an authentic hadith in Nasai. So what is being referred to here? So how can one pound, using our currency, be greater than a hundred thousand pounds? And the response is, the one who gives a hundred thousand pounds in sadaqah, let's say he's a millionaire, he's got a million pounds. So if you put it in percentage terms, how much is he given from his uh, capital? 10%. If a person has only got two pounds and he gives one pound, how much is he given? 50%. So the Prophet he was explaining that one dirham can be greater than a hundred thousand. Thus, our loving Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala does not look at the quantity, but rather the sacrifice on behalf of an individual. Now this is very important because we're not like that. So what do I mean? When you get people asking for sadaqah, they're looking for the, the amount. Contribute generously to the, whether it's a lot or whether it's a little. And they start talking you know, as if they mean it. If you take 10 pence and put it in dabba, what's the shikl he pulls? What's the, you know, the expression? The expression you usually get is, why have you even bothered giving me 10 pence? This is human nature. Because what's 10 pence going to do? People are starving and this, that, and the other. Allah, the Almighty, completely different. He's looking at the sacrifice. So think about that. And if you flip the coin, if a person gives a hundred thousand for a course, you get takbirs everywhere. You know, it's Allah Akbar, takbir. <laughs> but in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it might not be worth that much. Wealth doesn't impress Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Your checkbook doesn't impress him. It's a sacrifice. So look how beautiful. Abu Talha, when he was wealthy, he gave his most prized possession, the Bayruha orchard, which overlooked Masjid al-Nabi. And when he was destitute, he gave whatever he could to Abu Huraira, his guest. And Allah Ta'ala revealed verses on both occasions. So what was the state of Abu Talha? But at the same time, uh, so, you know, let's put it even more simply. A poor Muslim gives a few pounds in sadaqah is just like or even greater than a multimillionaire who gives a million in sadaqah. So it means you can invest, but you have to be wise in how you invest. Those Abu Huraira he said by way of summary of those most sublime times, all the food we had to eat with Rasulullah was dates and water. By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we never used to see wheat. We did not even know what it was. In addition, the only clothing we wore during Rasulullah's lifetime were the woolen shawls that the Bedouins were. This is in Imam Ahmad in his Musnad, Al-Haytami in Majma' Al-Zawaid, volume 10, page 3 to 1, stated Hassan, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 1, page 5 to 6 of the New English Translation. So Abu Huraira is looking back 
at the time of the Prophet and he's yearning for that time. Now what was that time? <laughs> that time was they only had dates and water. <laughs> because that was our staple diet. He goes, we never saw wheat. We don't even know what wheat was. Now how strange is that? If you have no wheat, there's no bread. <laughs> so what he's basically saying is we didn't know what bread was. <laughs> then he said, our clothing was like just basic shawls, you know, like roof. The Bedouins were. He goes, this is how we lived during the lifetime of the Prophet. So now was he saying that by way of gratitude that he's come out of it? Or is he looking back thinking, I wish that I was still in that time? And the response is, he wished he was still in that time of the Prophet. Confirming further, Abu Hurairah, he said, after winning the battle of Khaybar, we passed by some Jews who were baking bread made of wheat flour in ovens made in the ground. We then chased them off and we shared the bread. I received a part of which, which was burnt. Because I had heard that eating of bread makes one fat. After eating it, I looked at my sides to see whether I had become any fatter. This is in Abu Nu'aym al-Hiliya, volume 6, page 307, Ayat al volume 1, page 545 of the New English Translation. So, let's look at this. So, this was after Khaybar had fallen, the Battle of Khaybar, when he came with his tribe to embrace Islam. And it, it mentions that some Jews were making bread, and they were making it in the oven. Their the oven was in the ground. You still get it in Muslim lands. You see a person put his hand into that fire, and he slaps the chapati and he pulls it out. Right? So it was that kind of an oven. So when they saw the Jews baking this uh, bread, because we chased them off and we shared the bread, meaning why? Because this is what you're allowed to do, it's, it's doing a campaign. But look what he said. He goes, I took the burnt bread. Now, what does that tell you? Would you ever eat burnt bread if you know what bread was? He goes, When I ate it, I started looking at my stomach. Because we heard it makes you fat. So, what? now why is this something alien to us? Because you know, have you ever come across a person like this? They didn't know what bread was, right? So when they ate bread, now it's staple diet. You know, especially amongst the Asian subcontinent, Indian subcontinent. If you take out chapatis, cold turkey kicks in. Right, next minute, oh, you, you right, what's happening? Rice is no good, right? Get them chapatis out. Now, look at the state. That's not doesn't mean you're sinful, it just means that it's become a staple diet. And people, and these same people go, We wish we were in the time of the prophet. Do you? You know, you're having cold turkey over chapatis, right? So, Abu Hurairah, he was talking, he mentioned this is how we lived during the lifetime of the prophet. So, allowed it. Abu Barza, one of the participants of Khaybar, he said, We used to hear during Jahiliyyah that eating bread made of wheat flour made a person fat. Those each one of us started looking at our sides after eating the bread to see whether he had grown fat. This is in Tabarani, Targhib, volume 5, page 177. Al-Hetami in Majma Az-Zawaid, volume 10, page 324, comments upon the chain of narrators. Ayat al-Sahaba, volume 1, page 544 to 5 of the New English Translation. So this wasn't just Abu Huraira. 
This is all of the Sahab. Because we start looking, if you put some weight on, right? You know, from eating the bread. <laughs> Indeed, such were the hardships in those most blessed days that Abu Huraira said, Days would pass when we would not have anything to eat that could keep our bikes straight. Eventually, we had to tie stones to our stomachs and then wrap our clothes around so that we could keep our bikes straight. This is recorded in Ahmad in his Musnad, Talghib, volume 5, page 177, Al-Hatami in Majma Az-Zawaid, volume 10, page 3 to 1, state Al-Hassan, Kayat Al-Sahaba, volume 1, page 5, 3, 5 to 6 of the New English Translation. So he's trying to explain to the Muslims, obviously the world had opened up by this time. The Persian treasures had come to the Muslims, the Roman treasures, so they were living very comfortably. But Abu Huraira has gone through a great transformation and he's explaining to them, he goes, we had to, we couldn't eat anything, so our, we were walking bent back. Have you ever seen a person walk bent back? You know, you think, eh, hey, that there's something wrong with him. But which one of us has seen a person who's walking like that because he's not eating? He's had nothing to eat. You see a person, he literally walks like this if he can't eat. Then he said, we just had to tie stomachs around our, sto- our stones around our stomach so that we could keep our bike straight. In other words, it was how our back was aching, so we had to put weight, you know, like you're doing when you go into the gym, so that our backs would straighten out so we could walk. Later, during his exalted and honorable life, when he was blessed with a few of life's comforts, he would thereupon often be seen grieving, remembering the August lifetime of Rasulullah. So, just to reiterate the report. In Sayyid Bukhari, number 7324, in the chapter on holding fast to the Quran and Sunnah, Tirmidhi, number 2374, Hassan Sayyid in the chapter on Zuhd, Ahmed in his Muslim, number 23993, Targhib, volume 3, page 39, Hayat al volume 1, page 534 of the New English Translation. Muhammad ibn Sidin, rahmatullah he said, We were with Sayyidina Abu Huraira, radiyallahu, when he was wearing two linen garments dyed with red clay. So he's wearing some nice garments and they, they dyed with red. He then cleaned his nose with his garment and he said, Bakhin, Bakhin, Abu Hurairata yatamakhatu fil qattan. Bravo, bravo. Abu Huraira is now cleaning his nose with the linen. There came a time when I would fall unconscious between the pulpit of Rasulullah and Aisha's chamber. Upon which a passerby would come and put his foot on my neck. Considering me to be mud, I having a fit. In fact, I had no madness. I suffered from nothing but hunger. So I mentioned this before, but looking at it briefly. So it's in Sayyid Bukhari. He's living a comfortable life now. And when he wipes his nose, he he says, congratulations, talking to himself. He goes, you know, you are now cleaning your nose with linen. And then he goes, I remember a time when I fell unconscious between Rasulullah's pulpit and his chamber. And somebody would put his foot on my neck. They thought I was mad. But it wasn't. I was suffering from hunger. So what does this tell you? He was yearning for those times. And it's strange, you've got to be honest. You know, we 
look back at the times if you lived a, desti- a life of destitution and they do shukr. <laughs> because look, Alhamdulillah, Allah has given us more of the world and there's nothing wrong with that. You do shukr. But which person would say, no, I wish I was back in destitution? <laughs> right? And the response is, these were the companions. <laughs> Indeed, he would thus often show his utmost gratitude to the Almighty and Glorious for his unending blessings. <laughs> In Bukhari in his Tariq Kabir 3-54, Ibn Majah number 2445, Sahih, Behaki 6-120, Abdul Razak in his Al-Musannaf, Abu Nu'im Al-Hilya, Ibn Sa'ad in his Tabaqat 4-326, Hayat al-Sahab of volume 1, page 535 of the New English Translation. Salim Ibn Hiyan, Rahmatullah alayhi, he said, Sayyidina Abu Huraira radiyallahu anhu once said, I grew up an orphan, and I emigrated as a poor man. I was hired by the daughter of Ghazwan in return for food and a turn riding the camel. I would gather firewood for them when they stopped to come and urge their camels along for them by singing when they rode. Falhamdulillahilladijaladinikiwam. Mm-hmm. Praise be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who has caused his religion to become dominant and he has made Abu Huraira an Imam. Mm-hmm. Subhanallah. So let's look at this. So this is a Sahih Hadith in Ibn Majah. So he's talking about his early life. First he said, I was an orphan. My father died when I was young. Then he goes, I migrated as a poor man. And then look what he said. I was hired by the daughter of Ghazwan. And what was his wage? His wage was food and a turn on the camel. So it wasn't even money. Because that was my wage. So I could eat and I could you know, get a bit of rest on the transport. He goes, my duties was this. Because these included my duties. I would gather firewood for them. When they stopped to come. And I would sing urged the camels when they rode. <laughs> so he was like the one uh, urging the camels, he would sing. After saying all that, what does he say? فَالْحَمْدُ mm-hmm. Praise be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who has caused his religion to become dominant and has made Abu Huraira an imam. Mm-hmm. Meaning, look at the transformation that's occurred. <laughs> he goes, look what I was. <laughs> And look what Allah has given to me. He's made me an imam. And this also shows he's an imam. Who said he's an imam? Not Darul He himself said it. He's an imam. Right? Some people say, no, he's not an imam. Well, who do we believe? The one who's tortoise or the one who's, you know, fighting chickens. Right? So, note again, he was remembering that time. But he was doing shukr as well. Very important to highlight. He goes, Alhamdulillah, Allah has blessed me. And similarly, in Abu Nu'im al-Hiliya, Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 5, page 355 of the New English Translation, Abu Yazid Madini, rahmatullah alayhi, he said, Sayyidina Abu Huraira radiyallahu who once ascended the Rasulullah's pulpit, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he stood on a step lower on which Rasulullah stood, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He thereupon said, All praise belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who has guided Abu Huraira to Islam. All praise belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who has taught Abu Huraira the Quran. Mm-hmm. 
all praise be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who was blessed Abu Huraira with Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. All praise belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who has now fed me leaven bread and given me fine garments to wear. All praise belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who has given me the hand of Ghazwan's daughter in marriage after I had been her servant to earn food to fill my belly and now I am able to annoy her just as she used to annoy me. <laughs> so now he is in Masjid al-Nabi he is on the pulpit of Rasulullah. How many people have the honor? Now many. He doesn't stand on the step of Rasulullah out of respect to the Lord. He stands on the one step lower. And all his khutbah was shukr. That was his khutbah. So what did he first thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for? Islam. Why? People haven't got Islam. You see people living in Beverly Hills. They haven't got Islam. So what's the point of the world? Right? You see people who are very famous. Haven't got Islam. So who's more fortunate? Is or them? Alhamdulillah is us. Then he said, All praise belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who taught Abu Huraira the Quran. The Quran is your standard. The more you're connected to the Quran, the more you're honored. The more you're disconnected, the more you're dishonored. Because Allah Ta'ala has blessed me with the Quran. Then he mentioned Rasulullah. Because Allah Ta'ala blessed me with Rasulullah. Alhamdulillah. Then he said, Alhamdulillah, I'm eating fine bread and wearing fine garments. He's thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that. Then he said something very interesting. Who was his kind of master or mistress? In the early days, it was Ghazwan's daughter. So what happened? He said, Alhamdulillah, I have now married Ghazwan's daughter. And now I am annoying her, just as she annoyed me. So what would she ask him to do? Collect firewood? Sing songs? Right? So he goes, I'm doing something as well now. Clarifying further, in Hayat al-Sahaba, volume 1, page 535 of the New English Translation, Abu Huraira said, The daughter of Ghazwan said to me, You should come barefoot to the animal and mount it whilst it is standing. Now what did she mean by that? We cannot wait for you whilst you wear your sandals and then you get to the animal and then wait for it to sit down for you. So look how impatient she was. She said to Abu Huraira, Come barefoot to the, to the animal and don't let the camel sit. Jump on it. Why? Because it takes too long for you to put your sandals on and for the camel to sit. Then Abu Huraira said, Now that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has brought the daughter of Ghazwan into my marriage, I jokingly tell her, you now come barefoot to the animal and mount it whilst it is standing. <laughs> and people will find it strange. He goes, what the? He goes, no, barefoot. The camel can't sit. I haven't got time. <laughs> but he was known that, you know, he was also a very jo uh, jovial person. He liked to joke. And that's why people liked his company. They hate miserable people. You know, some people don't even smile. They think, you know, you're making me depressed, brother. <laughs> right? Abu Huraira, he goes, he was thanking and showing 
also how the wheels of fate had turned. Think about that. Our Allah had turned everything around for him. And just to add this to finish, why was he saying again and again, Alhamdulillah? You know, if you think about it, it wasn't one enough. The Prophet ﷺ, he said in Ibn Majah, Sayyid uh, Hadith, whatever blessing Allah gives to you, Alhamdulillah is great. So think about that. So you got blessings, eyesight. If I was to ask you how much is eyesight worth in terms of money, it's priceless. You know, you don't start putting a price on eyesight. Alhamdulillah is greater than eyesight. You've shown more than enough thanks by saying Alhamdulillah. Then you think, okay, think of something else that's priceless. Iman. Iman is priceless. Alhamdulillah is greater than Iman. You've shown enough thanks. So what Abu Huraira was doing here was, he was teaching the Muslims. He didn't just say, he, he was hammering it. He was Alhamdulillah, who has guided Abu Huraira to Islam. Alhamdulillah, who has taught Abu Huraira the Quran. Alhamdulillah, who has blessed Abu Huraira with Rasulullah. Alhamdulillah, he's given me fine bread and fine garments. Alhamdulillah, I'm now married Kazwan's daughter and I'm bothering her. So he's teaching. And people don't realize the value of these phrases. The Prophet said in Sayyid Muslim, Alhamdulillah fills the scales. <laughs> Alhamdulillah fills the scales. But if you add Rabbul Alameen, the angels pray for your forgiveness. So if you say Alhamdulillah hadith in Hakim Sayyid, the Prophet said, whoever says Alhamdulillah, the angel adds Rabbul Alameen. But whoever says, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, the angel says, May Allah Ta'ala forgive you. So add Rabbil Alameen as well. Right? To get the angels to pray for your forgiveness. So all I mentioned today, again, was talking about the austere lifetime of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and his yearning for that time. And he's very vividly describing how austere the times were. But note, he mentioned Khaybar. Khaybar is mentioned as the turning point. That's when the Muslims finally got wealth. Now, why is that fascinating? Who had the wealth? <laughs> Blessed Bani Israel. <laughs> the wealth's always with them. As soon as Khaybar fell, he goes, now he goes, you know, we got money. It's fascinating. Right? Money seems to just follow them. And maybe that's that curse of the calf that's following them around. And yet again, the money's there again with them. But inshallah... We'll, you know, let the money and we'll spend the money, mashallah. Are there any questions you'd like to ask? Subhanallah, bihamdi, ismarak, Allahumma, bihamdi, ka ishtu, la ilaha illa anta astaghfuri, ka atubu alayka, wa tibu alayhi, 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 wa